you who are here for the first or you know, second time or you're just still uh, checking out this community, uh, thank you especially for being a part of uh, a service today. I hope you find the story to be warm and a uh, hospitable place to call Faith Home. Uh, I'm Eric, and my wife Giovanna and I, we co-pastor the story, um, and uh, we just have been overwhelmed uh, since the very beginning by the things God's doing with this community. I think there was such wisdom that we could not even foresee when God planted this community right here in the middle of the city, a community of, uh, that's intentionally for non-religious people, spiritual but not religious people, agnostic people, people who just aren't sure, or even people that are atheist, um, self-described atheists, you know, that... Uh, that, that's what we're here for. Those are the people that I think God created this community for, to create a space where we can figure ourselves out, figure out what we believe, bring our questions and be honest and raw together. You would not believe the number of miraculous stories that I am privy to every week, the things God's doing in people's lives right here in this room, the ways God's redeeming families, saving marriages, and turning people around. It happens all the time. I've never, in all my years in ministry, never seen anything like it. Y'all don't get to hear a lot of those stories. Last week you heard one from Katie, a 16-year-old uh, woman of God who stood with courage and told her story, and we were changed by it. Today we're going to hear a different story, uh, and this one's going to be on video. This is the story of Sarah and Bonnie, two people who call the story Houston their home. Let's engage in that story now. So we are at the Harris County Courthouse, and three years ago it was here where my ex-husband and I fought for five very long and grueling days over custody of our 10-year-old son, Jack. Jack's father and I met um, on a Monday night in a bar. <laughs> if that tells you anything about our backgrounds, it was our junior year of college. A couple of years later, I found out I'm expecting a baby, and here we are two very young, wild, recently graduated college students that um, have this very adult thing thrown in their lap. We got married and a year later I decided to separate. It was just difficult for it to look um, like the Leave it to Beaver family because we were both just so consumed with, with drugs and alcohol. Our custody agreement was 50-50. He actually remarried and um, I asked him if he would consider revisiting our custody agreement. One thing led to another and the next thing I knew, I mean, we were just in a full-fledged war. This was my courtroom and my home for the last, last seven or eight years and it was a, it was a brand I'm Bonnie Crane Helms. I was the judge of the 247th District Court. It was a family court and I did it for 20 years. Sarah and Doug's case had gone on for a while and I saw them a couple of times. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was some squirreliness going on. And I have been an alcohol and drug counselor uh, as well. So I, I, have, I pick up on cues a little more quickly. On the day that I thought would be the last day of the trial, when I thought the ruling would be in my favor, I was in for a huge shock when um, the judge asked me to leave the witness stand. She just sat up tall and she, she pointed her finger at us and she said, I think that you both have a substance abuse problem and I have the right mind to take this child away from you both. I mean, that's the stuff that nightmares are made of. 
Uh, I cold busted them and I, I warned them. I said, guys, don't push me on this. If you don't get clean and sober, I will take this little boy and give him to someone who will put him first. In that courtroom, we both were forced to face the fact that we had issues with substance abuse. One night, I know that I consumed uh, close to three and a half bottles of wine and I was standing at the refrigerator that next morning, so hungover, and I, I heard a voice. I mean, plain as day, I heard a voice that told me, you will die if you keep drinking like this. I, I just, I knew. I knew that if I continued, my life was going to end. After I got sober, I knew that I needed to have a church family. So I started going to St. Luke's in July of 2014, and then I started to hear what the story was about. And when I heard that it was a church that was for non-religious people, I thought, okay, like that sounds like a pretty cool concept. Let me check it out. And just immediately knew, like, this is it. This is absolutely where I belong. And my faith just began to grow by leaps and bounds. One Sunday morning, I was greeting people at the front door, and this woman walks in. She looked so familiar, but I couldn't quite put my finger on who she was. And I'm just staring at her, and all of a sudden, it dawns on me. St. Luke's had been my church for 56, 57 years. First time that we were going to the story, uh, we walked up, and Sarah looked at me and said, are you Judge Helms? And I said, yes. And she said, you don't remember me, do you? And I looked at her and I said, no, sweetie, I don't. I'm just shaking. I was so nervous because this woman was so incredibly intimidating to me, but I just knew, I knew I had to tell her. And I said, listen, you tried my custody case about a year ago. And I just wanted to let you know that because of the things that you said to me in that courtroom, I've been sober for almost a year. And she grabbed me and hugged me so tight. Her eyes filled up with tears. And she just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just was so tickled and so moved because you never know if the decision you made was right. It's moments like that where where you just know that God is so real. God is at the center of my life today, and I owe a lot of my spiritual growth to the story. Are you gonna go with a spooky pumpkin or like a classic pumpkin? You want me to hold it? When I got sober, okay. I was fortunately able to take my last drink and um, not have another one since. Doug's road to recovery has been a little different. When we had our Bible study one Sunday night, uh, Sarah had come and said, please pray for Doug because he's on Cush and I'm afraid he's gonna die. And she said, I'm scared to death to let Jack go with him because he's not sober. It, it wasn't a battle, you know, I didn't try to take him back to court. I didn't berate him. I prayed for him really, really hard. This year on my birthday, he showed up at my back door with a bunch of flowers and he said, happy birthday, I'm getting sober.
I'm a real stubborn, hard-headed individual. Thank God everybody was praying for me. I just never really thought this would be my lifestyle. Even when I got into recovery the first time, I thought it was more about just getting fixed so I could go drink like a normal person or use drugs like a normal people do. I didn't realize it was like, changes the way you think, you know? You almost really become a different person. Today, we have a really great relationship. We truly co-parent Jack and it's literally 50-50. I believe that God has a really huge sense of humor and this story is a testament to that. Hi. I'm so excited to see you. It's funny to see you too. How does it feel? Well, I gotta tell you, um, being up here this time, I feel really different than the last time I was up here. <laughs> and I feel differently about you. Yeah. You know, my opinion of you used to be, <laughs> I would describe you as a Judge Judy. <laughs> a mean old Judge Judy. <laughs> but you're probably not the first person who said that. <laughs> God moves in incredibly wonderful ways and he gifts you with things that you would never have even known to ask for. Now I can, I can love her like I would like to have come down off the bench and loved her, but uh, I couldn't, I had to play my role because if I hadn't, neither one of them would have realized the importance of their sobriety on their child. We did it. We did it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like your mother. <laughs> I know, you do. You give good motherly hugs. Yeah. Give oh, oh. God thanks for his goodness, y'all. <clears throat> I just find it amazing uh, that, Sarah, if I have this wrong, tell me, but uh, I believe you're leaving your current job soon to become a territory manager uh, for Right Start, which is a recovery uh, outfit here in Houston. And, and Sarah, by the grace of God, will be touching many more lives uh, with her work. And so God is faithful. All right, so somehow I'm supposed to transition from that into whatever I've got to say, which you're not going to remember because that was so great. Um, uh, we've, been, we've been talking, as you know, for five weeks about the Ten Commandments, and um, today's commandment actually does uh, relate directly to the video you just watched, and we're going to get there in just a minute. But first, just let me set this up a little bit, set the table. You all know if you're new, maybe you don't know. been talking about the commandments for, for five weeks. Um, we've gotten through um, six of them now. Uh, and today we're talking about the ninth commandment as we uh, look at uh, the, the ten. We're skipping around, right? So the ninth commandment is the one we're on today, which is don't lie about your neighbor or don't lie against your neighbor is a better way of uh, saying that. Um, next week we'll talk about Sabbath and the importance of uh, Sabbath, and then two weeks from now, we'll talk about coveting, and then we'll finish this series on the 20th. You got a very special treat on the 20th, as Dr. Pace, Dr. Tom Pace from Mother Church, senior pastor, will be here to preach for the very first time at the story, and uh, we're doing a little pulpit swap, so I'm going to be over there, and he's going to be over here, and uh, it's going to be awesome, and y'all may not know this, but my very first time to preach at the story, two years ago uh, in 2014, 
Uh, Dr. Pace asked me to come preach at the biggest church I've ever been a part of, St. Luke's, big, proper, fancy church kind of. And I was intimidated. And I didn't uh, own a robe, and I had to get one, and, you know, like a stole and all that proper stuff. And I asked him what I was going to preach on, and he said, I'd like you to come and preach on lust. Lust is your topic. <laughs> I had to preach about lust and sex to a bunch of people I never met and people that most of whom were older than me and had more, you know, wisdom than me on that and all that stuff. So, uh, so for Dr. Pace's first time here, guess which commandment I saved for him <laughs> on the 20th. Tom gets to talk about adultery. So... Y'all be good to him, okay? Turnabout is fair play. That's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said something about that. So anyway, uh, <laughs> do unto others. There you go. So today, though, we're talking about the ninth commandment, which uh, is found in Exodus chapter 20. If you've got your study guides. You can kind of uh, uh, refer to those um, as needed. So uh, hopefully those will help you keep up with kind of where we are uh, in, the, in the sermon. So um, most people think the ninth commandment, uh, don't bear false witness, thou shalt not bear false witness or false testimony against your neighbor. Most of us grew up in vacation Bible school being told that that just meant don't lie. Well, we kind of already talked about not lying, right, a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, swearing by God's name, using God's name in vain. We talked about being honest with God. And, and, and I guess that's the same is true with this one, don't lie, but it's about your neighbor. Like be honest with each other, be honest with your neighbors, be honest about your neighbors. Um, and, and yet in context, it was much more than just you personally don't lie. Because there's much more at stake for the Israelite community than your own individual integrity. Like the integrity of the social fabric is what we're talking about here. Because remember the story. The, the, the Israelites have been brought out of the chaos of slavery. And God is trying to do a new thing in them, bring order out of their chaos and give them an orderly existence. And so what does any new civilization need when there's order coming from chaos? A dependable judiciary, a dependable legal system. And the language here, just like in some of the other commandments, is strictly legal in its context. 3,400 years ago, this meant do not give false testimony against your neighbor in court, right? And so that's important. Um, because if you can't depend on your eyewitnesses, if you can't depend on, you know, uh, your, your testimony, then the legal system was completely corrupt. So uh, there, was, there was no forensic evidence. There was no video cameras watching you, right? There, there, were no, uh, there, there was no CSI stuff, you know. And so the testimony of a witness meant everything to the, to the integrity of the community. I want you to see that because it's important for what we're going to talk about the rest of our time today. Because the same principle is true for us. Like, starting out with our judiciary, our judiciary also relies, our system of justice relies on honest eyewitnesses, honest judges, honest lawyers, as scary as that sounds, uh, to, to uphold the system. And, uh, sorry, lawyers, we have a lot of lawyers here. Sorry. So uphold the system, and, and, and the social fabric relies on that. But but I think for us, and when you read the Bible as a whole, this commandment uh, in Exodus 20, 16 is more than just what happens in a courtroom. It's how you are with people, how you talk about people. It's more than just giving false testimony in court. We're talking about telling the truth about 
people. And so there's several ways that we bear false witness today, right? There's spreading rumors, starting rumors, spreading lies. There's, there's not stopping a lie whenever it's told in your presence and you hear someone talking about somebody else behind their back and you do nothing. And you think you're so good for not joining in. Well, that's fine, but I think Jesus might call us sometimes to stand up for those who are defenseless and unable to defend themselves in a moment like that. Sometimes not speaking up is as bad as spreading rumors ourselves. Um, and so the question I was wrestling with as I thought about these things, rumors and gossip and slander and such, is why do we succumb to this sin so often? This is probably one of the most common sins everyday people commit. Why are we so tempted by gossip, slander, and spreading rumors, talking about other people? There's several reasons why, right? One of the reasons we we slander others is to pass the buck and pass the blame and blame others for things that we don't want to be blamed for, right? That's one of the most common reasons. Maybe not the most common reason, but it happens. Young people, especially kids sometimes do this to get out of trouble. We point the finger at someone else. Uh, I want you to meet uh, Coco the gorilla. Coco the gorilla uh, was, uh, is a uh, gorilla famous for two things. Coco is famous for her uh, proficiency in uh, sign language. She can speak over 2,000 phrases uh, using sign language as a gorilla. That's pretty impressive. And uh, she's also famous for her love of cats. Over time, her trainers have adopted for Coco uh, half a dozen cats. And she gives these cats names. She names them whatever she thinks when she sees them. So there was one cat that liked to play with a ball. And I guess Coco knows something about basketball because Coco named that cat All Ball, right? Like, like All Ball, when you block a shot, right? All Ball, that was the name of the first cat. And then there was Smokey the cat. There was Lipstick the cat because it had pink lips, right? And so, uh, so Coco named the cat Lipstick. There was one weekend, I guess, that Coco had a, had a tough weekend for some reason. Uh, and she kind of lost control. Like the trainers went home for the weekend, and Coco was there with the cat, and, and uh, she tore the sink off the wall, just ripped the sink right off the wall and threw it across the room. When the trainers got there on Monday morning, they saw just the destruction that had happened, and Coco's there sitting in the middle of the room. The cat is cowering in the corner, and the sink's just like thrown about, you know, and the trainers go, Coco, what happened? And Coco looked at them for a minute, and then Coco signed with her sign language, right? Coco said, cat did it. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? That's one smart gorilla. Cat did it. And the cat's like, I don't know, man. I, there's no way. There's no way. I, can, I don't even have thumbs, right? I can't pick up a sink. Sometimes we're like Coco, right? Sometimes we want to blame other people for things we don't want to take blame for. And so we enjoy in that way of putting people down, right? Now, that's not the only reason we do it. Sometimes, and I think most often, we gossip and we slander and we spread lies and we don't stop the spread of lies because gossip just feels good. Now, can we just, like, can we just be raw and honest about that and just admit it, that when we're not our best self, right, when you're not at your best, you're tired or you're stressed or you're frustrated, it feels really good to talk about people. It feels good, especially to bring people down a notch, people that you, you know, may be jealous of, people who might have something you don't, people who are, you know, above you somehow. It feels good to talk about them 
And so we have fun with it, you know, uh, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Because, yeah, we're messed up, but, you know, it feels good to know that there's somebody out there that might be a little more messed up than us. It's cathartic (laughs) to talk about people in an unsavory way or to kind of throw them under the bus or to, to gossip, right? And some of you, um, honestly, I think, have already kind of checked out of this sermon. Like you're having fun with it, but like it's not hitting your heart. And I wrote this sermon all week thinking this is, this is, this is not going to hit anybody's heart because it's gossip. And like maybe there's 10% of the room right now that's deeply affected by gossip. The rest of you are just going to think, well, this is not a big deal at all. And even if you do struggle with gossip, you might be thinking, uh, where does it really land on the list of sins, right? Could it really be one of the worst? You know, you might not think that the Bible is listed up there among the worst sins biblically, but the Bible itself would actually uh, not agree with you on that count. Time and time again, the Bible identifies gossip and slander not just as a sin, but as one of these sins, Right, So there's several passages I've listed for you in your study guides. You can look them over. There's a few we'll have on the screens. And, and uh, there's even like um, one that I didn't list anywhere, but it's from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 says uh, Paul is writing, making a list of all the worst sins people fall prey to. And this is kind of the order of the list. Paul says these people, they are murderers. They are violent. They start fights. They're gossips. And they hate God, God haters. And if you look at this, like from the outside looking in, you're going like, why does gossip get sandwiched between murder and God hate? You know, like those are two really drastic sins. What does gossip and talking about people have to do with any of that? Well, again and again, the Bible identifies gossip as a serious threat to the social fabric of the people of God. Gossip is a serious threat to any church. Gossip is a serious threat to any Christian. And again and again we see why. Proverbs 25, 18, uh, it says, uh, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. So uh, this proverb says that gossip can be like a weapon. It can be like beating someone, attacking them, and they're defenseless. Ephesians 4 The Apostle Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only that which is useful for building one another up according to their needs speak grace into their lives. That's what Paul says. Only that which is useful for building up should come out of your mouths. Then there's this from Jesus' brother James, chapter 1, verse 26. James says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You see what gossip and slander, just talking about people, even in a nonchalant, innocuous way, it destroys trust. And if you're someone who has who has fallen prey to that kind of sin, you know what I'm talking about because you have trouble growing, trusting relationships because people are onto you. Because we know there is a very innate, close connection between what's on your heart and what's coming out of your mouth. There's a very close connection between the condition of your heart and the content of your words. And the stuff that you say about people reveals something about you. It reveals a brokenness deep inside of you. And the people closest to you, they have diagnosed that brokenness long ago. 
And while you want them to pity the people you're talking about, we're over here just feeling sorry for you because you've uncovered some deep wound that you're not willing to deal with. Other gossips, you know, other gossipers, like, they will be right on board with you, and they'll jump in with you, and you'll act like there's nothing wrong with any of you. You know, this sounds a lot like how alcoholism works, actually, because it's an escape, right? Just like liquor is an escape for an alcoholic person, gossip can be an escape for someone who is deeply wounded inside. And people who gossip are deeply wounded. Somebody hurt them. Pure Someone who talks a lot about other people. I know you've got some pain. Deep inside, you've, you, you're uncomfortable. You feel inadequate. You're not at home in your own skin. And so you have to talk about someone else's skin or someone else's marriage or someone else's looks or someone else's finances or someone else's job situation and someone else's kids. Even though it's none of your business, even though you don't really know the whole story, it makes you forget about your own problems for just a moment. And so it's not that gossip in a vacuum is inherently evil. It's that it reveals a deep brokenness in your own heart. And it threatens the fabric of the community of God. And as usual, Jesus keeps pushing the envelope with it. Jesus just ruins us when he fulfills this commandment. Like last week, we talked about murder, and then and, and Moses and God are like, yeah, we shouldn't murder. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, we don't murder. We, we've got this. This is good. And then Jesus is like, well, that's fine, but you also shouldn't be an angry guy. And we're all like, oh, shoot. You know, <laughs> like, dang it, Jesus. He does it again when it comes to this commandment. When he fulfills this commandment, he says that anyone who lies about another person is a child of the devil. <laughs> That's extreme. This is Jesus, not me talking. Let's look at it. From John chapter 8, it's on your study guides. Of course, it's in your Bibles. John chapter 8, verses 42 to 44, where the people, the Pharisees, the religious guys are talking about Jesus. They're talking trash on Jesus. And Jesus hears them and says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. But you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your own father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So last week it was don't murder, and Jesus was like, okay, but you really just shouldn't be angry. And this week the commandment is don't bear false witness, and Jesus is like, just don't be a false person. Don't be the kind of person no one wants to share things with. Don't be a kind of person where it's hard to know what the truth is. It's hard to, to foster healthy relationships. Don't be the kind of person who winds up isolated because you're, you're false from the core out, right? So, so Jesus is saying when God is your father and when you are God's child, God's daughter, God's son, you inherit the truth that is God. There is no falsity in God. And, and when you are God's child, truth and love are bound to overflow from you. But, but if you are in a place in your life where you find it easy to lie, you find it therapeutic to slander, Jesus says God's not your father, not yet. The enemy is. You know, we often say at church that God has a plan for your life. 
and I believe that to be true. You've always heard preachers and Christians say God has a plan for your life. It's a good plan, holy plan, all that stuff is true. It's easy to forget that God's not the only one who has a plan for your life. There is an alternate path. There is an inverted demonic plan that your life can take, a path that you can choose. The enemy also has a plan for your life. And it involves you being the kind of person that talks about people when they're not around, blames others for stuff that's your fault, slanders people, spreads lies, and doesn't stop lies from spreading. And that will leave you isolated because there's no truth in the enemy. His plan is for there to be no truth left in you when he's done. So, last week... I talked about angry guy because, I use male language, because in my experience, it's very limited unscientific knowledge here, but I think anger is more of a problem for guys than it is for women, generally speaking. I know there are women in the room with anger issues. I heard from a few of you this week, and you were very nice. I'm not saying you're angry with me, but I'm just saying you share with me your struggle, right? Now, I appreciate you being nice to me, but you know what I mean? Like... Generally speaking, anger is more of an issue across the board for guys than it is for women. So when I talk about anger, I use more, uh, you know, male-heavy language. Today's a little different, i got to say. And I am really scared to say the next part. (laughs) But in my very limited unscientific experience, in general, men tend to be bored with gossip. Not all men, certainly men who gossip. Generally, gossip is more of a struggle for women. And generally, slander is a struggle for women when they talk about other women. Generally speaking, right? Not, not everyone, but in general. So last week we talked about angry guy. Today I'd like to zero in on gossip girl, if you'll uh, humor me here, all right? So... I've just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see, witness, and hear women, especially women belonging to the same church, talking in a negative light or allowing talk, negative talk about other women in the church to continue. And it, it seems to start very young. We experience this thing in student ministry here at the church sometimes. It goes as young as, you know, middle school, uh, high school, where there's so much competition for success and achievement in the classroom, and there's so much competition for the attention of boys and men and all that stuff. And, and so young women seem to turn on each other. And uh, Katie talked a little bit about this last week when she shared her story and kind of where her story started to go off the beaten path. A little bit, right? It's the kind of thing that can lead to bullying. It's the kind of thing that can lead to suicide. Young women, students, young men, students, pay attention. This is a big deal, talking about other people when they are not around. It is a mortal, grievous sin before God. And it's not just adolescent girls who do it. Um, It continues sometimes into adulthood. And 
I've wanted to say what I'm about to say in a sermon for the last 10 years, but I've never had the courage to say it, and today's the day, right, because I'm tired and I've had two pots of coffee, and I'm ready. This is it. You all ready? The worst that can happen is some of y'all are just going to get up and leave and never, never come back, and, uh, and that's all right. You know, it's, I would hate it, but, uh, you know, this is something that's been on my heart for a long time. I, I just am scared to say it, but I'm not going to put up with it anymore and just let it ride. So I just, I want to talk for a minute. Uh, let's have a little uh, Dr. Phil conversation, okay? So uh, women, all right, ladies, my sisters who I love. <laughs> uh, if, I, if I can be honest, I, I hope there will come a day when we can, we, y'all can, <laughs> stop the snarky kinds of passive-aggressive conversations among mothers. I'm talking specifically about mothers. And, and I've heard one too many times this kind of divisiveness between working moms and stay-at-home moms. Y'all with me? This is something that runs rampant in the church and nobody says anything because we're all afraid of moms. But this is, this is something... It cannot, it cannot continue. You know, I, if I hear one more working mom talk about how easy it is to be a stay-at-home mom, oh, my Lord, are you kidding me? Easy to be a stay-at-home mom? I mean, that's the seventh level of H-E, doubles, hockey sticks, right? So the, it's not easy. Working moms often say, well, that's easy. And if I hear one more sort of passive-aggressive, semi-condescending, stay-at-home mom say something like, well, I could be a working mom, but you know, I care about my kids. Like that, that kind of thing. Man, it just drives a wedge between people in the community of God. Isn't it hard enough already to be a mom, any kind of mom, without mothers turning on each other? Amen? Isn't it hard enough already? Can we just stop it? Can we be on the same team, right? Can I be an honorary mom and just bring y'all together? You know what I mean? Right here in the middle. Like, we can stop it and y'all know it happens. You know, you got, you got working moms on one side and, and, and stay-at-home moms on the other. And, and, you know, the devil has a plan for your life. It involves you talking about other women until nobody trusts you. Losing each other's respect and sacrificing your sacred trust for each other on the altar of your own self-worth. As followers of Jesus, we just can't put up with it. We can't tolerate it anymore. We, we are to be nothing but truthful with each other. And, and this kind of thing uh, can be as deadly as, as murder for us. Sometimes the juiciest gossip in a church is in the most like holy time at small group or uh, in teams whenever it's time to share prayer requests. Man, prayer requests can turn ugly sometimes <laughs> when, you know, it's like, oh, well, I, I really want to pray for, for John and Jane because, you know, they're separated, I heard, and uh, I heard John is seeing someone else. And I heard that somebody saw some pills in Jane's purse the other day and she's been acting funny. I'm just saying I'm worried. We should pray for her, y'all. You know, that kind of, don't, don't let, don't let, don't let praises and concerns turn into the gossip hour. You know, like, it's none of your, even if it's true, even if it's true, it's none of your business and you have no business sharing it publicly. 
Because we are called to honor this sacred trust, this social fabric that Jesus is knitting together with this community. And when we talk about each other, uh, we endanger that. We threaten that. So this is a little uh, adage that I use at home a lot with my kids. And you've probably heard it before. But it goes like this. Everything you say should be true. But not everything that's true should be said. Do you say it with me? Everything you say should be true. But not everything that's true should be said. This is what gossip does in a community. It's like a parasite that latches onto us. But like any parasite, gossip needs a live host organism to survive and to thrive. Anytime you're tempted or anytime you come across a rumor or some slander or some juicy gossip, you have a choice to make. You can be that host organism that allows that rumor to thrive or you can choose to cut it off right then. When you follow Jesus, when God is your father, and you hear a rumor, that rumor dies with you. That rumor is not fed. That rumor is not spread. That rumor is cut off. And every time you're tempted to spread rumors and talk about people, you should know that it is your enemy trying to fulfill his plan for your life. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine if in a story you just watched earlier, imagine if Judge Bonnie was an untruthful, dishonest judge. Imagine if she was tired that day, tired of all these people coming before her with all these problems. Imagine if she just expedited that custody hearing without telling the truth. Imagine what a different story Sarah might have to share today. Imagine if Bonnie had just expedited that little hearing and then gone home and vented to her husband about all these crazy people coming into her courtroom and all the problems in the world and thank God we're not like them. Imagine how different Sarah's life and Jack's life might be. Imagine if Sarah had never experienced the healing, the inner healing of the Holy Spirit of God after Judge Bonnie set her straight and she found a spiritual home here at the story. Imagine if she never felt the kind of self-worth that you need to step up and say, I'll help lead the church. Imagine if she never stepped forward and chose to lead uh, the prayer team for a while. Imagine if she never stepped forward and chose to greet people at the door. Imagine if, even if she mustered the courage to come to church, she ran in to Judge Hellams. Imagine if she didn't have the sense of self-worth to address and approach Judge Helms directly, and instead she just went home and told all her friends that she saw that nasty old Judge Judy today at church. You know, imagine what kind of a different story that would be if either of them had been less truthful. But Jesus, leave it to Jesus to use a family court judge near retirement with a history of abuse therapy to change an alcoholic mother's young life. Only Jesus can do that. And only Jesus can take those two people from two different generations, two different paths, two different families, who met in a courtroom one day under the most awful circumstances and make them like the best of friends now. I can't get them to stop hugging each other when they get together. They're sisters in the truest sense of the word now. Only God can do that. 
if today's sermon has hit home for you. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable in the good way. I hope you'll take a moment over the next few minutes of worship and just be raw with God about how you've been toward your neighbors. To be honest with yourself. Because your tendency to talk about other people has revealed a deep wound inside of you. And everybody else knows it. Somebody hurt you. Somebody has convinced you that you are not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not successful enough. And yet Jesus, he said, you're, you're enough. Not some future perfected version of you, but the you that sits here today was enough. Enough to make him leave his throne of comfort in heaven, come all the way here, take the cross on his back so that you would know that you are enough and that you are worthy of the best kind of love. So next time you're tempted to break the boredom, break the silence, comfort yourself by talking about somebody else and what they're wearing or how tired somebody looked today or what a mess that person's kids were in children's church today. Just remember, those kids are the preacher's kids and so they have an excuse. And, and remember, remember, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. People of God are called to be people of few words. We're called to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, quick to forgive, slow to tear down, and quick to build up. I pray that's what God does with us. Let's go to him in prayer.